So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to get into the David and Goliath story, but we're not going to just go to the story part that you already know. We're going to go into the story behind the story. And uh, we're going to connect it to, this is a word, this is prophetic, it's a word for the year. And, you know, I did just release a, a prophetic word, the first part of my word for the year. It didn't come out yet, I don't think, on Elijah List, because I just put it on my Facebook a couple of days ago. Pardon? Oh, thank you. Uh, somebody said powerful. And it's 2020, a year of roaring justice and raging hope. And, um, you know, injustice, we point out, is not just, it's not the opposite of grace or mercy. Justice is the mercy of God on recipients of injustice. It's where he draws a line in the sand and says, now take time to take care of those who've been abused and run over. And so this is something he's doing. And what that does, it releases hope. It releases hope when people see, okay, we have a big God, we have a caring God, and he's doing something about injustice. And so there's a real connection to that. So that, I'm not going to give that particular word, but it's so connected with, and, and, and for those who heard that word, you'll, you'll hear uh, in what I share with you today, you'll, you'll hear overlap of theme. Because even though this is a book, this is a message even that we have in a book even the way the Lord will have us steer it specifically for today is for you to be aware this is so relevant for the year 2020, the year of learning to see in a whole new way and advancing from, we've been in the decade, I don't want to go into in the weeds on it, but the, the decade, if you go by the Hebrew calendar, 57 to the 5079, 5779, we're now 5780, but that whole emphasis of that 10-year period that we're just coming out on the Hebraic calendar is on properly seeing. Because a battle is won or lost at the point of seeing. Not at the point of engagement, but at the point of seeing. And, and that's the reality for David. It was a reality for Caleb. You already, they're already defeated if you can see them comparative to God versus compared to yourself. And, and that's so easy to say and so incredibly difficult to do. And we're going to learn some of that even through this message on, on David uh, today. And we want to look into... Um, uh, you know, again, the book I was telling you about is becoming a superhero. So I can, you know, if that offends any of you, wait a minute, that doesn't sound humble enough. How about us being superheroes? Where is that in the Bible and all that kind of stuff? Well, it's there. And, um, <clears throat> you know, greater is he that is in us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Uh, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. The kingdom of God is within you. Daniel eleven thirty two talks about the people who know their God will do exploits, mighty exploits. That will be a time and season where it's seemingly the Antichrist or the Antichrist spirit is in a very big dominant position, people think. But the people who know their God are going to step into mighty exploits. We are in that time. We're in that season. And this is a time for David's to arise. And, um, and this is going to be amazing. He's also the perfect prototype reformer that connects to our message. And our message on the seven mountains is that Statistics show that only 3% of, if a pastor's looking at his church, only 3% will ever have a traditional ministry call. That is, only 3% will either be pastor, youth pastor, worship leader, or something like that. And it explains a big orphan spirit that's been on the body of Christ because we have like 100% trying to get into the 3%. And 97% of you, your primary call is not in a church role. Everybody's called to be here. Yes, that's great. But then you have an assignment in society, on the mountains, on the other six mountains. That's the mountain of religion assignment. And so the 97% have to be activated into the other mountains of society. And that's where we're going to see mighty exploits accomplished. And we, what, what our assignment is, is to carry who he is, is to carry knowledge of God. That'll come out also 
in this message. And so I'm not going to read First Samuel 17. You know, spoiler alert, David kills Goliath right up front. Uh, we'll just tell you. So we're not going to like, okay, and, and who wins and who wins, who wins? You all, you all already know that. You know the story behind the story. And uh, you know that story, but we, we're going to go into the story behind the story. And it really, there is revelation and insight that is so important for today and what's taking place in society. Because there is a loss of courage that takes place when you're exposed to seeing an enemy that's very large. And that's what happened to the children of Israel. They were seemingly okay. And then Goliath shows up and he's too big and he's mocking them and he's, and he's making sounds uh, at them. And so there's a shaking and quaking intimidation that takes place. There's something of that that's taking place in society. There's been a recent revealing, if you've been alert, of a Goliath thing going on, in, whether you call it a deep state, cabal, many other things in society. There is a, a, a general awareness many have of a Goliath that's been there and then how the Lord is even going after that, but there's a lot of fear associated with it, even among believers in the household of God. And, and so part of this is to help deal with that fear, but there's a realization when we see big enemies, we, we, tend, we tend to, you know, it affects our processing. It, the first guy, this, this story repeated with Caleb, when he was one of the 10 spies, he's one of the 12 spies, he and Joshua were the, the good spies, as we say, that went into the promised land, and everything was fine until they saw the giants. They said, we were as grasshoppers compared to them. We cannot do this. We cannot go in there. The ten spies, they had uh, a great ability to study the enemy. And in studying the enemy, they scared the people to death. And so they would not go in for a whole generation because of that. So there is a battle is won or lost at the point of observation. If you study the battlefield correctly... If you see the narrative correctly, you're already positioning yourself for victory. And if you don't, you're positioning yourself for defeat. So this becomes a major storyline for the body of Christ right now. It's why it's specifically relevant for 2020. All about vision, seeing things properly and in proper perspective. We have the enemy, we have us, we have the Lord. And there's a lot of distortion. People don't know whether to put the enemy bigger, God a little smaller, us bigger. We're, we're not clear where we're going to put each other in this picture. And we want to we, we make sure and have that perspective right. Because if not, it literally affects your courage. It affects your, your, uh, your, the level of fear you carry, the expectation, and what you're willing to contend with in society. So as we read, uh, I, I'm going to skip around. And, and again, for the few who don't know the storyline, or I know this goes out to others as well, not to mock anybody who has never heard of David and Goliath. So here's the deal. Goliath is, he's the giant of the Philistines. The Philistines come out, and they actually come into land that belongs to Israel, and they send out a champion, and his name is Goliath. And he's a big dude. He's nine and a half feet tall or so. And, and, uh, and he's a loud mouth as well. And he calls out the children of Israel and says, send me somebody who can take me on. And, and, you know, if your guy defeats me, then we will all serve you. If I defeat your guy, you all will serve me. And there, released, there was released a tremendous fear into the children of Israel because of that, because they compared themselves immediately with who Goliath was versus them, versus their big, their big guy. And, and so because of that uh, effect, then we have ultimately after a while, David, who didn't go, he wasn't a soldier, Amazingly, the guy that could kill lions and bears with his bare hands is not on the battlefield. 
he is watching sheep and his dad sends him there to bring cheese and bread to the cowards. And, <laughs> and so he comes and the first thing out of his mouth is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And from moment one, he had no fear. And then he ends up killing him easily with a small stone and cuts his head off. It's like, guys, is this the problem? And a very anticlimactic battle and all that kind of stuff. But what made David respond in this kind of way? What would cause, how could a king who's a seven-footer himself, and it was literally their giant, how would the king and a whole nation be in fear and trepidation of something that was so easily killable, something, a Goliath, that was so easily manageable by someone named David? And so there's four big keys we want to get out of First uh, Samuel 17, the story behind the 17. We want to understand what made David operate differently. Because if you connect, you absorb that, you get activated into that, it'll change. You'll be a different person from today on. Uh, you know, I'm always quoting A.W. Tozer. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. You have to think about that for a moment. Not know how many scriptures you know, how much you pray, but what you think about God. All those things are designed to affect the way you think about God. But what you think about God is the most important thing about you because it sets the narrative by which you operate. And so you'll see that what was the difference between David and Saul, what they thought about God. And that the different thinking about God caused them to act and react in different ways. And when you change, if I'm able to change anybody's thoughts, and a lot of you are going to change your thoughts today. And if I'm able to change and upgrade your thoughts, you just become a very dangerous person on behalf of the kingdom of God, as well as a person designed to live in great victory. In fact, I'm just going to tell you something supernatural is going to happen right now in the next few seconds. Holy Spirit is going to touch you on your shoulder, and you're going to feel a literal finger, like just a touch on you right now. If he's telling you, you are going to experience a breakthrough, a true breakthrough miracle. This is him telling you, a breakthrough miracle, this message, by the end of this message, where we're going to go. And it's going to, you're going to be a different person. This is a line drawn in the sand. You're going to be a different person from this day forward. And so, Holy Spirit, you showed me that. So go ahead and release that touch to those. Uh, it doesn't mean it's the only way, but this is way like, and some of this ties into a physical um, ailment you have that's held you back. And you sh- it's your Goliath. It's really about your Goliath coming down. Now, everybody's going to have a Goliath dealt with, but there's, he's like, he wants to make sure you do not miss that, a touch on your shoulder that tells you you're going to take Goliath out and you're going to do it today, and your life's going to be changed forever. So that can happen right now. I see some, something happen with some of you, and it can happen during the message as, as well. This is to be an encounter during the message even. And there are, there are degrees of freedom. You know, I asked the Lord about uh, Isaiah twenty two twenty two talks about the key of David. And the key of David, you open, no man can close. And you close, no man can open it. And it's like, what is that key? And I've heard so many messages on David. I've studied David so much throughout my life. And, you know, David was a worshiper. He was a warrior. He was a king. You know, what was, what was the thing that, that set him apart and made him different? And the Lord said, just like a key has different grooves, There are different things, there are different aspects, and he gave me, tied into this message, four aspects of the key of David, kind of four parts of this key that makes you a person that can open and nothing can lock it, and you lock and nothing can open it in a good way, and there's, you know, a whole message is due on, on that aspect of the key of David, but we're looking to 
identify and learn some things, four specific aspects or keys of the key of David. And we're going to hit them as we, as we go into uh, 1 Samuel 17. We're going to jump around on this story a little bit. And we want you to be, uh, be ready to, again, to connect yourself with this. This is something for you to connect with. And out of that, you experience a victory over that thing that's been intimidating you, pushing you around, keeping you down, the personal Goliath that's in your life. Because really, this, this, this chapter, 1 Samuel 17, the Lord showed me years ago, and sometimes I'll teach it in this kind of way, is literally a strategy of how you take a nation or how you lose a nation. And it's how you take or lose your own destiny as well. In these four keys is major revelation. We're just going to, as time permits, hit some of them. Uh, uh, and hopefully an, uh, a, good number of, a good number of them. And, but we wanted to give you first the general layout of the story that you already know. And then we're going to, um, and then we're going to take point by point and for sure have it clear what the four keys are for you. Because you want that to be part of your takeaway and there'll be a moment at the end where the Lord's going to do amazing things as well. So it says in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah, which belongs to Judah. Now that's the first thing you want to note, is that this was not like Israel's trying to go into their promised land and they happened to run into the Philistines and Goliath. This is Goliath and the Philistines coming into land that belongs to Judah. Not just belongs to Israel, but to Judah. And there's a whole insight just in that first verse right there. When the enemy comes to take you down, because this is how you win and lose your own destiny, your own purpose in life, your own breakthrough. When he comes to take you out, the first area he's going to go after is Judah, your praise. So that, you know, the first key of David is the key of praise. And, and that's the first thing of how to become a superhero, how to enter into this new, new place of being a superhero it was, that's what Judah means, is praise. And when the enemy will come to reduce you and to take away your legs and to kill your destiny and to reduce your kingdom footprint, the first thing he's going to come after is your Judah, your praise, your magnifying of the Lord. And he'll do so in all kinds of ways and circumstances that take place in your life. But David shares that, and he makes it clear to us uh, of this reality, what he had learned in Psalms 34 Actually, many places, but Psalms 34, particularly 3 and 4. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me, delivered me from all my fears. We looked at him and our faces are radiant. So this thing of magnifying the Lord, you don't magnify the Lord by reading Psalm 34, 3 and 4. That just tells you what to do. The magnifying is something you have to practically do after that. And, you know, it's worth, I've given a whole message on that before, and it's worth it because it's such an important truth. You magnify what you're having a hard time seeing. Just in the natural. Is that not correct? So a lot of us, we have no trouble in a conference or Sunday at church or whatever. Yes, God, you're mighty, you're great. We tell them, Monday comes and we look, the bills are like, oh my God. And all of a sudden, you know, the God of bills is not as powerful as a God in church. And, and, and then we have our relationship. We have to meet with somebody that in a Tuesday and they're like, huh. He, he's not the God of family and relationship. He's just the God of in church. That's part of this thing of the seven mountain rainbow God, the God of every area of society, is where we learn to recognize and find him and see him in every area of society. So the area you can't see him in is the area you have to begin magnifying him. For instance, your Monday morning is bill time, you, and you're like, you're used to just being beat up by the enemy on provision, and you can't see him there. It's like, 
you have to stop for a minute and you magnify who he is. Lord, I thank you that one of your names is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You remind him of who he is. Then you remind him of who he was in the Old Testament. I thank you that your friends, your best friends, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, David, they all had abundance of provision. It's in your heart to provide. That when you took the children of Israel to the promised land, you didn't just say, hey, it's a land that flows with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it's a land that flows with milk and honey. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be in abundance. You don't have to be one who's always asking for money. You'll be one able to give. So as you begin telling him and reminding him of who he is for your sake in the Old Testament, who his name actually is, and then remember who he is in the person of Jesus, whose very first miracle, he broke his timetable in order to do a miracle provision, a provision miracle to allow tipsy people to get more tipsy and, you know, Cana, the miracle at Cana, he did not preach, prophesy, heal one person. He did nothing but help make a marriage successful by there being enough wine. And, and it was, you know, expensive to produce because it was 180 gallons of wine that he produced for them. Just, and he didn't bring Sprite or milk or that's a whole other message and all that kind of stuff. But it literally was wine. And that's who he is. So once you go into the abundance, the extravagance, he is not the God of just enough. He makes that point over and over, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's the running over God. That's who he is. So all of a sudden, you get done magnifying God, your face becomes radiant. You go, I'm ready to tackle my bills now. So there's a practical way you do this. When it says magnify the Lord, you actually have to magnify him. And you magnify him in the specific area that you are feeling challenged, where you're not seeing him. You can't see him in your family. You can't see him in your finances. You can't see him. Wherever you can't see him, magnify him there. It's easy to magnify him there. You already see him. But you magnify him. Magnifying glasses so that it looks too small. Let's see him the size he is. And then you start speaking into your future and everything's okay. All right. So that's the first key of David, the key of praise. And the enemy will take your praise before he assaults you with fear, dread, anxiety. So verse 2. Saul... And the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied the hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. It's so awesome to be in Israel. We're going to Israel again, taking a team this year. And I think some point we might tell you about that. We'd love you to go with us. We had uh, a most amazing uh, tour uh, that we took last, last year. If we could bottle that, I mean, the presence of God's amazing. But we're actually going to go to this very site this year, the site where the Philistines were on one side, the children of Israel on another side, the brook where Goliath came out and where David took care of him. I actually, from a previous time there, I still have some stones from the brook there in case I find Goliath somewhere. And um, it, 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 we want you to join us in that, and we're going to tell you more about that moving forward. But that just came to me as we're, we're, I'm being reminded of this story as I'm looking into. But we want you to be aware, the Philistines occupied the hill, the Israelites another. And verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine. He was over nine feet tall, a bronze helmet. It goes three verses of a bronze helmet on his head, a scale of armor, bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze uh, greaves, a bronze javelin was slung on his back, his spear shaft like a weaver's rod, an iron weight and 600 shekels, his shield bearer went ahead of him. Man, it's like the intimidation, intimidation, intimidation and that takes place when you, lose, when you lose out on the first key. A champion surfaces and distracts. It's the first thing. And he overstates, overemphasizes 
who he is and his capabilities compared to you. So you have to be aware. You lose Judah, you lose your prayer, you, you lose your praise, you lose your area of magnifying the Lord. The next thing, the enemy shows up with anxiety and fear, and you'll always overstate his case. He'll overstate who he is, what his capabilities are, and, and, uh, and he comes... Again, what's so interesting to me about this, there's three verses that is the most meaningless information in this chapter based on how we know this thing ends. One little stone takes him out. Just, boom, he's gone. And, and he, you know, David was not distracted by his armor. He wasn't distracted and even processing. See, I'm afraid what we would do today, we'd have a three-day conference on removing Goliath's armor. And we'd go through every one of these, see, every one of these things, his bronze helmet. Now, the bronze helmet means, and the thing on his leg, meaningless, 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 meaningless. We don't have to do that. We don't have to go step by step and go through the enemy's stuff and get rid of, you know, just on that. I think I might usually say it later on, but it's worth saying right now. This thing of magnifying God versus magnifying the enemy is such a major deal, and you'll see that these are the eyes of David we want to be exposed, a major key of David. Because we have people in the body of Christ who think that how they're contributing, and not to knock them, they're doing the best they know how, uh, they think the way they contribute to the body of Christ is by studying the enemy and telling the body of Christ about the enemy. They're scaring the body of Christ to death, but they think they're doing them a service. The last, you know, if you remember the biblical story, that's what the 10 spies did. The 10 spies did not lie. They were not, quote, evil. They were just unanointed seers. Literally. They went, they went into a promised land the Lord already said, I want to give you, and they told on the enemy. They told who was there, how big he was, and we were as grasshoppers in their sight. And then you had Caleb, but Caleb, there was a different spirit. And I'm telling you, 90-something percent of us don't have that different spirit naturally if we don't magnify the Lord in a continual way, not just in meetings, if we don't live in that, you will not live in that dimension where you easily see the narrative, where you don't get into comparing yourself versus the enemy. And so, you know, you have Caleb goes and he sees they're both watching the same thing. You have anointed seers and unanointed seers. They're looking at the same battlefield and one says, they're huge, way too huge. They're bad. They've been there a long time. The deep state, the Illuminati, the Bilderberg, the, whatever else you want to put it. Now, see, now it lands there somewhere. We're going to get some. You have no idea what they're out to do. And I'm not Tiva. I don't know. Whatever else. You know, wow, wow. Oh, man, Jesus, please return, return. See, that's what you end up when you overstudy the enemy. You do not enter into promised land. You do not go into what you're supposed to go. You do not go into transformation, reformation of cities and nations. You go into some retreat mode and you spiritualize it, of course, so that it looks fine. But Caleb says, no, he is with us. They will be bread for us. How can you look at the same thing and say, I'm either a grasshopper compared to it, or it's like, it's some my Starbucks and give me a giant, the son, you know, a son of Anak. Let me give you a Malachite. I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat that with, with my coffee in the morning. That's Caleb. They're looking at the same thing. And because they followed, the children of Israel said, well, the only people keeping it real are the 10 spies. They didn't go into the promised land for 40 years. Watch for the people who keep it real. Well, you need to know. Why do you need to know about the enemy? The Lord told me, because I was becoming an expert on the enemy years ago. I was studying. I had a charted out territorial, who's where and all this. And I hear the Lord speak to me, not audibly, but it was almost audibly. And he says, wow, Johnny, you're becoming such, you're becoming such an expert in the enemy. I go, yeah, it's a lot of work. He says, you keep it up. 
says, you keep it up, you're going to lose all faith and all resolve. I go, what? He goes, you do not have time to study the enemy. Study me. I'll let you know what you need to know about him. And that's still part of the first key, the key of praise. Who are you magnifying? What's being magnified? He does not give us assignments that are possible, so just get over that part. There's people like, no, but it's impossible. If you have a possible assignment, it wasn't given to you by God. It was given to you by your brain. He only gives mission impossibles. So just get over that part. And um, that lets you know you got to connect supernatural. Okay, so let's see, where do we leave off? we got to jump around. we got to move forward. So Goliath, he has got all the armor, you know, and he's overstating himself. First of all, he's taking Judah, and, and they're not even, you know, no protest. You took our land. Nobody stands up and says that. And then he just says, verse 8, he stood up, shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, let him fight with me. If you kill me, we serve you. If not, if I kill you, you serve me, etc. I defy the ranks of the army of Israel, he says. You know, verse, verse 10. And in that little thing I just read to you, he just did, it's the number two key, the key of identity. He stole their identity. He stole their identity, they didn't even recognize it. You may not have recognized it with us, with what? You go, what do you mean he stole their identity? Well, he says, I'll read, slow down and read this part again. Verse 8. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Is that their identity, servants of Saul? You'll see David will come back in. He'll come into the picture. We'll just jump ahead because we're just going to, you know, jump around as we need to. In verse 26, the second half of verse 26, here's David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, if you can't see the battle is won or lost at the point of seeing, if you can't see the realities, were they servants of Saul or were they the armies of the living God? They were cowardly armies of the living God, but they still, that's what their potential was. That's a lot of the body of Christ right now. They're in coward, you know, and, and there's a spiritualizing of how you can be, a, a, you know, a scaredy cat in the spirit and it still be spiritual somehow. But uh, that's another message for another time. But anyway, so... Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? What's he doing? He's getting him into comparative mode versus himself. What the enemy does, that's a trick of the enemy with us as well, to get you to compare yourself with him. And he's like, uh, I'm the nine and a half footer. Saul, yeah, he's your giant. He's your seven footer. See, I don't know if you get it. This all was a very signaling out of Saul as well because he was Israel's giant. When he says, send me a man. The obvious man was Saul. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. We already read that if you read Samuel before when, Samuel, when Saul was anointed king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He's the giant. He's the obvious guy. And so Goliath says, uh, I'm the nine and a half footer and you all serve the seven footer. Um, and so, oh my goodness, the enemy's bigger than us right now. Who cares? If the enemy is bigger than us, God does not give you an assignment unless it's bigger than you. Unless your devils are bigger than you. You do not get an assignment unless that's the case. But you stop. The enemy has you distracted if he compares you to him. This is what Caleb never lost. This is what David never lost. D David, again, Caleb, first of all, will say he first looks at the giants, say they will be bread for us. He compares them to God's like, man, I can barely see you. You look like something edible. That's it. You're a snack. 
And so that's what's, that's, what's, that's what's going on. And David, his first observation, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You will see David never once calls him big, a giant, nothing, except an uncircumcised Philistine. That's the only name he asked for him. Why is that? He's not just insulting him either. He's not just, you know, creative insults on circumcised Philistine. He was speaking into a legal matter that was very, very important at that time. Because he's pointing out, these people just came into our territory. They just came into Judah, my tribe. You can feel David boiling up in, in, in there. He's like, this territory was given to my great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, by God. This is territory that is God's and ours jointly. And this guy has just come and he's on our territory and he's making these declarations against us. Who is this? uncircumcised, this illegal Philistine on our territory who has defied the armies of the living God. Because he has the right narrative, he's going to take care of him easily. If you have the wrong narrative, you'll never take care of the enemy easily. So you want to be able to see. That's why the last 10 years have been about seeing. Seeing is the most important thing. 2020, we got to get the seeing completed. You got to see everything in proper perspective. You got to, we have to quit over reacting to the enemy's size and tactics and conspiracies. We're already told back in Psalms. Why do the nations rage? The, heathens, the heathen conspired, depending on what version of the Bible you have. But the bottom line is, essentially, there is always, there always has existed a conspiracy. Multiple conspiracies, conspiracies have always existed in every generation to take over the world. Like, so for you to discover one that's... <gasps> There is a conspiracy to take over, and they've been trying stuff. That's been going on every generation. And it always is. There's wicked people. They think they're in charge. They run and says, he who sits in the heaven looks at them and laughs. Holds them in derision, if you read the rest of that chapter in Psalms. And so we have to connect to a God who sees it, but he doesn't get activated because he chooses to activate when he has sons who can see. For 40 days, he was available to take out Goliath. Why didn't he? He didn't have a son who could see him. After 40 days, David comes and sees him and sees the enemy. He's like, who is this? And all of a sudden, heaven is involved in the situation. All right. I got to go faster. Y'all with me still? You feeling your kingdom plutonium starting to... Kingdom of God is within you. Greater is he that is within you. You're not just waiting for him to come from without you. You're not just waiting for some new hands laid on you. It's inside of you. We're, it's covered up with disappointment, delay, despair. We have all these, you know, logs that are covering up the kingdom of God that is already within us. But today, the plutonium gets activated. So just go ahead and connect to that. And you can feel it as we connect to David's language. So, verse... Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All of them, dismayed and terrified, just because they let the enemy set the narrative. Beware in letting the enemy set the narrative of the day. That's worth another hour message, but we're going to leave that one too. And then everything changes, verse... 12, now David. First two words, now David. And everything changes. The whole equation is going to change because there's someone who's going to rise. Someone who can see. Someone who can properly see the battlefield. That's why 2020, properly seeing is the most important thing. 
again, and when you listen, this is a prophetic conference, and there are prophetic words that come out all the time. And one of the challenges they always, I know, we've had conversations with Steve here at the Elijah List, is words that come out. How, you, you, you know, the, 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 the task that they have of properly discerning words that even can be released is, is a big task because it's of immense consequences. A battle is won or lost at the point of observation, not at the point of engagement. It's lost at the point of observation. So if you have people steering vision of the people in a way that magnifies the enemy in some way that's not supposed to be magnified, it's not just, well, we only say good stuff. Because No, it's, it's recognizing there is no ignoring of Goliath here. It's, but who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I see him. He's illegal. He's illegitimate. I'm going to take care of him. It's the same way of Caleb. It's not, no, no, there, there are no giants here. It's not about there's no giants. There's not, it's like they will be bread for us. We will get stronger taking on things that are too big for us because it makes us connect to a God that's too big for them. I'm about to get excited, but anyway. So David was son of Ephratite, named, this is verse 12. And Jesse had eight sons. And Jesse's three older sons had followed Saul to the war. Firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, I want you to, uh, uh, you know, we've hit, I want to just make sure we get these four grooves of the key. We'll call them four keys. The key of praise. The enemy takes your praise before he assaults you. The key of identity. When when you lose your praise, when you stop magnifying the Lord the way he's supposed to, he will steal your ID. Stolen ID. Key of identity. That was number two. He called them servants of Saul. David corrects it. said, no, these are the armies of the living God. Living way beneath what they should be, but these are the armies of the, of the living God. And so those are the first, first two keys that we were following. And we want to, this is an important place to, to note something. When it says, now David... Uh, first of all, I got to backtrack and just say something. You know, there's, I feel like Saul, he's the, the first guy, the original guy to get the idea of premature rapture. Um, because he's like, just hang in there. Obviously, the enemy's too big for us. Goliath's too big. Obviously, he's like, just hang in there. Save a few people. Just hang in there. You know, choir, sing, Jesus return, Jesus return. And you all do this, Jesus, he's coming. Obviously, the enemy's too big. We can't do that. Does this sound a little more familiar to something that goes on a lot in the body of Christ? And it's like the enemy's too big, and so obviously we can't do it. Jesus is going to come take us out. When he takes us out, then he's going to do it all. What purpose did he ever have for putting us on planet Earth? He could have done that before he put us here. What kind of sorry story would that be? He can remove Satan with one, you know, how, do you, how did he create Satan? He was Lucifer. He said, let there be Lucifer. How could he get rid of him? Let there not be. Like, Lucifer is not a challenge. Satan is not a challenge. It's like he's, Satan knows that. The Lord could just say, you know, I'm done with you all. Yeah, I've lost my patience. They're gone. But he's, he's got a storyline before powers and principalities. He has told Satan, you know I can get rid of you with one word, but guess what? My sons and daughters, I'm going to raise them up. And you're going to lie to them. You're going to lie to them. They're going to run. They're going to have 40 days, maybe 40 generations where they're intimidated and pushed around and like just waiting for me to save them one day. But I'm going to have a David group that rises up, looks you in the eye and says, you're illegal here. You can't function here anymore. And the God of peace is going to crush Satan under our, our feet. 
That's his storyline. Don't steer, don't steal God's great storyline. He is having zero sweat with dealing with Satan. He's chosen the major, he's handicapping himself in the massive way you can imagine. I'm going to kill you with my kids. I'm going to stomp you with my kids. That's the story. David knew it. Creation groaned. Creation knows that. Romans 8 says creation groans and travails not for Jesus to return. That's not the problem. They've read the book. Um, creation is like No, he says his kids are going to rise and shine. So creation knows they groan and travail for the rising of the sons and daughters, for the Davids to arise. So it goes with the rise. Davids, Davidinas, you know, male, female, it's both. It's all, it's all that. And so... The Davids arise, that's the solution. The God of peace crushes Satan under our feet. So this idea that, you know, God's like, man, what do I do? Satan's so bad. No, Satan's not a big problem at all. He so minimized his capabilities like, you were made in incredible splendor and glory, but I'm going to have my children in my image take care of you. And they're going to take care of you as a people. And they're going to take care of you in every area of society. They are going to recognize and see you. And they're going to say, you must leave here. You must leave here. You must get out of here. You can't be here. And that's how my glory is going to be revealed in every area of society. So this is where we're going. So anyway. So here's the deal. Where it says David is the youngest, I'll give you a little piece of important revelation. Because we're still after this bottom line answer of how did David become a superhero? How did he become one that could be so different than an entire people and an entire huge king? How could he be the one that comes out to field and looks at this big giant and sees this army and goes, who is this? How could he be that way? What wired him? Surely he must have been born, you know, with some kind of silver something. Over him. But I want to tell you that David, two things. Number one, where it says David was the youngest, the word it uses in the original Hebrew is katan, Q A T A N. And it means the least. And it can mean the least in years, but it can mean the least in value in all kinds of other ways, the least. And if you read, and I put this together in our book, the details of it, if you want to um, be able to follow, because for time's sake, I have to run through some of these things quicker. But uh, in First Chronicles 2.15, it says, Now Jesse had eight sons, and the seventh was David. And we're going to note real quickly in previous chapter 16. You remember there were seven sons that went before Samuel? And Samuel said, that's not it, that's not him, that's not him. And then there, is there anyone else? Well, there's one. There's the Katan, the least, the youngest. Well, he wasn't the youngest. He was seventh of eight. One of a brother that was younger than him went there. So why was he not invited even to the coronation? We're going to get to that in just a moment. There is, there's an in, insight there. Um, no, I'll just go ahead and spill out the inside because time really out. I like to do the setup a little slower, but don't have the uh, capability of doing that right now. So Just to lay the foundation, go back to one chapter, 1 Samuel 16. So we see the deal is that Saul has displeased the Lord. The Lord has removed him from king. And, and Saul says, the Lord says to Samuel, you know, quit mourning for Saul. I've rejected him. Fill your horn. This is 16.1. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel 
gets word out to Jesse. He says, listen, the Lord has said, one of your sons is king. Sanctify all your sons. Bring your sons. We're going to sacrifice before the Lord. We're going to set a table there. We're going to sacrifice before the Lord. Consecrate them. And the Lord's going to tell us which one is he. So this thing happens. And you see the ones that show up. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. The Lord said, Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Apparently, he looked good and he was tall. And he's like, well, King Saul was the last. This guy's tall. I'm sure it's him. The Lord says, I have rejected him. It ain't him. And, um, and so it goes on and says, verse 9, Shammah passed by. The Lord said, not him. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Now, this is a moment of crisis, if we could get into the story for just a minute, because I'm going to tell you, if you put together all the scriptures, and we do it, uh, again, in the, in the book for the passages that you need to have, I may read a couple of scriptures so you know, because what I'm going to tell you, this is the part of Revelation. This is the key point of how David became a superhero and became, became one who could look at the giant and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? This is the whole key that comes out in this next part that I'm, that I'm going to uh, uh, show you, is that David... You know, in Psalms, it says, in sin I was conceived. So I'm going to tell you, David was an illegitimate child. The reason he's not invited to the ceremony, even though he's not the youngest, is he's not considered son. He has not been declared a son. He has scriptures in Samuel, in Psalms, in Psalms 69, 7, and 8. says, I have borne reproach and shame. I'm a stranger to my brothers. Another scripture, I'm an alien to my mother's children. Uh, in sin I was born. Psalms 51, 5 establishes, it goes into establishing illegitimacy. I read even a rabbi believes that David was a, pro, a product of incest. You're like, wait a minute, that just changes everything. Not only was he not born with a silver foot, anointed Superman from the crib, but this guy was born under rejection and illegitimacy, and we have been told that rejection is the greatest pain a human being can experience, to be rejected. And here's the situation he has not been accepted as a son. He's not considered a son. He's not invited. Furthermore, if you understand the culture, the extra biblical understanding of the culture of that day, shepherding was the lowest thing you do. That is only a family such as Boaz descendants who had wealth. You do not have your son watch sheep. Sheep watching is for the lowest of your servants. David was a servant. He was not a son. And he's over here. And he's watching the sheep. And you see... You know, you can imagine for Jesse, this is a whole, he calls the elders of the city to come. He's like, oh my goodness, one of my sons is going to be the next king. The prophet of God is going to make him the king. Oh my, we have to keep it on the lowdown because Saul still is king there. And so we have to keep this thing quiet. But he, you know, oh wow, what a day of honor is coming to the household of Jesse today. This is like good. And he's just, there's smiles. And, everybody, and he's not him, not him. And they go seven and then this question comes. Samuel says, um, Jesse, we got a problem. The Lord said to me to have you get all of your sons and sanctify them. I told you that. You've told me these are all of them. The Lord keeps telling me one of your sons is the next king. But he's saying, none of those are them. Explaining. <laughs> so, um, cold sweat comes on. Jesse, 
this is my day of humiliation. And there's like quick processing. Oh my goodness, he has two choices. Okay, okay, I'll just tell him, no, that's it. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, say, I don't, you know, that, that's, these are all the boys. Do you have any brothers? And they're going to, no, you know. And he's like, he's a prophet. I could be dead in 10 seconds. <laughs> he's one of these Old Testament severe prophets. And he's the only one. And so it was like, uh, but I haven't told anybody and I haven't told my, and they don't even know. And it's been this big secret and they've all just called him, you know, if you look at the scriptures in Psalms, he's called bastard, illegitimate. He's, he's, the, he's the redheaded stepchild. He's the illegitimate one. He's, he's the one and they're like, they make fun of him and he's out, he's a servant role and he's out there. And, and so he's like, um, he decides to live. And so he says, uh, Yes, sir, there is one more, and there he is. They could see him. He was close. They had invited, can you imagine? They had invited even the elders of the city. There is no, we find out in chapter 17 when he goes to give a message, when he goes to take the bread and the cheese to the cowards, and he says, and he left his servants to watch the sheep. He had so encountered God there, he's still not going to leave the sheep. But this was a family, they did not need David watching the sheep. He was there because he was illegitimate. This goes into God. He has chosen the weak, small, foolish things of this world. Confound the wise. And who does he pick? The reject, the possible incest, product of incest person. And so we find this whole, and now the story changes just a little bit, doesn't it? So let's read that in 16 real quick, uh, how it says it. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. This is verse 11 of 16. But he is tending the sheep. There he is. Samuel said, send for him and we will sit down. We will not sit down until he arrives. They sent him. He was ruddy, fine appearance, handsome features. The Lord said, arise and anoint him. He is the one. He took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day, the spirit of God was on him. Anointed him in the presence of his brothers. You're like, can you imagine? I want to get that video, YouTube, Heaven's YouTube video. Like, They're like, what the? Is the prophet gone seat? Does he have Alzheimer's? What's he doing? He's the bastard. He's anointing the bastard, the king. We got the whole elders. You know, the shock that's going through them. So big question comes, how did David overcome rejection? How did he overcome that wound of a father doesn't claim him? Of being this way, not being invited even. How does he overcome that to step into who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And that's what we have to hit in the remaining minutes while we cover the, the good part of, uh, of, of this story. But I want you to be, have it clear that by the time 1 Samuel 17 comes, when David, you, you have to understand how David sees the battlefield, how he's operating. There's not one drop of doubt. If you go ahead and read it on your own after the fact. I used to think, you know, David, he was lucky with the slingshot. And he was like, oh, God, you helped me before. I wonder if you'll help me with God. No. He had killed lions and bears. He had told this king, I have killed a lion and bear with my bare hands and I can take this guy out too. If you've killed lions and bears with a bare hand, a nine and a half foot guy with 150 pounds of armor is a piece of cake. It wasn't like, oh Lord, you help me over here. I wonder, and it was like, are you serious? You people are running from this guy? I shall have him dead before this day is over. And he knew it. He, was, he had no doubt about that because he had encountered God in power in a, in a personal way in his own time. So anyway, let's, let's connect back to uh, 
I don't want to forget some of the parts I want to, want to have here. But I, I want you to make sure you get the narrative of what's taking place. Back to 1717, Jesse says to his son, take the ephah, the ten loaves of bread, hurry to their camp, take along these ten cheeses to the commander, see how your brothers are, bring back. They went to the Saul, and early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd. So he had shepherds loaded up, just confirming the things I was telling you, just as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out, shouting the war. And Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. So the, I'm confirming the things I told you about, so you don't think I just made it up. I knew you already knew that was okay. And But verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Everything changes into. And there is a rising of people, sons and daughters of the king who hear things the enemy's been saying, and they don't just respond the same way a previous generation or generations have. They don't just say, well, I'm, thank God Jesus is about to return. Instead, this David, female, male, David Davidina, something, they hear the enemy say what he's going to do, and there's something, not on my watch. And this is something the Lord wants stirred up in his people in 2020. You are not seeing properly until you have that core of courage and proper perception of the battlefield and of what's taking place. And it has to eliminate. It's going to burn up a lot of false eschatology and theology that the enemy has organized and structured. It's, a lot of it, quote, eschatology is religious structured cowardice. And you're not going to stand. You're going to make excuses for why you can't stand, and so you've got to create a theology that backs you up. Man, I want to go down that track too. Okay. <laughs> Verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. You know, there's like four times in this chapter that it says run or ran. This is the one time you hear it, the children of Israel ran from the man in great fear. You read from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, Goliath doesn't kill even one person. But boy, dude could, he could talk. And, and there's a whole part of the application, even when we apply this as a nation, the Lord showed me Goliath represents media, the mountain of media. And, there's, and that's what's being gone after. Even what our president, what's being gone after right now is Goliath, the big mouth, who has stolen a narrative that is deceiving not just unbelievers, but believers. And so that narrative has to be knocked down because it has us living in fear. 40 days doing nothing, 40 days not progressing because someone hadn't shut the mouth. And before David cuts his head off, he's going to shut his mouth. He's going to shut his mouth. He's going to take over the airwaves. And everything he did was designed to take over airwaves. From the first time he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He is casting down a false narrative, and he's beginning to establish the positive narrative, the proper narrative of the kingdom of God, because that was his assignment. And in taking how you take or lose a nation, it begins in mountain of media. Who do you allow to take the, the airwaves and set the narrative over your nation? And when you allow that to happen, then it releases into people fear and bravery. We had the Philistines being excessively brave because of this mouth, and we had the children of Israel afraid, running, screaming, and then as soon as David cuts his head off, where we have to get to it because that should be anticlimactic not to read that just for a moment, you find out they let out a shout and then the cowards, Saul's cowards become David's mighty men in an instant because their God view changed. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. It happened in an instant. 
David didn't give him the atomic bomb. He didn't give him new weapons. He didn't give him anything but courage. And then they go, what? We have been operating to a lie. We have been waiting for nothing. Time to rise. It goes with our book. They're rise, okay? Reformers influencing society every day, but it's David's arising, taking on Goliath, that we've been formally intimidated from doing so because we have carefully crafted theologies, demonic theologies, doctrines brought into seminaries, heads of... Uh, 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 I'm, not, I'm not attacking denominations or anything else like that, but the enemy has gone into the places where release, leaders are released, where pastors are trained, and they've had them buy into a deficient doctrine, how to become Saul's, how to wait for Jesus to come. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, my own plutonium is stirred up a little bit right now. And it's, there's something really for 2020 about all this. And I'm, I'm feeling it stronger than usual because of that. Whoa, I got to be able to finish this. And I got to do it pretty quick. <sighs> okay, David had no fear of Goliath. How do we know that? Well, I, I, was, I know, I interrupted myself from, there was four times that run is mentioned. One time was the children of Israel run. And then there's three times, other times the word ran is in there. You'll see it. 1 Samuel 17, 22, and David ran into the army. Then you'll read it in verse 48, David ran to meet Goliath. Then you read verse 51, David ran to cut his head off. David went like, oh, there's nothing uncertain about him. He sees the battlefield. He sees the enemy. He is wired with kingdom plutonium, with the kingdom of God that's within him. Greater is he that is. And so there is, he, there's, there's not like, I wonder, there's no wondering. He sees it. Once you see it, you have some clear steps. The enemy takes a step towards you. You run towards him. If we have time, we'll see. Where Goliath, you know, nobody believed in David. His dad didn't believe in him. His brother said, who are you? Eliab, you know, still, he's still a little upset that he wasn't the king. He's like, oh, who have you left those few little sheep? You know, he's trying to chase them back to, to the sheepfold, and he's making, he doesn't know that this is Superman. This is the deliverer. So his brother doesn't believe in His dad still doesn't know he's a mighty man. So he sends them to bring cheese, you know, to the cowards and bread to the cowards. So his dad doesn't know who he is in the spirit. His brothers don't know. They bring him to Saul and he says, You're, he's very humble. He says, your servant was watching the sheep and there was a lion that came and I chased him down and I killed him with my bare hands and the bear came and I did the same thing. And this uncircumcised Philistine would be the same if you give me a chance at it. And, and, and so, you know, no, you cannot do it. First words out of Saul, you cannot do this. You are too young. You, you, you can't do it. So his dad doesn't believe in him. His brothers don't believe in him. His king doesn't believe him. Satan doesn't even believe in him. Go, Goliath, David comes to me, says, who are you? Goliath. I probably should read that. Verse 43. We'll start with 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. See, he's intimidation. intimidation. He's coming closer now. <sighs> he looked David over and saw that he was a boy, ruddy and handsome. And he despised him and he said, am I a dog that you come in with you with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He fi foo fum you know. <clears throat> And David's thoughts like, you come to me with a stick. 
David still has his shepherding rod. See, all he's doing is what he was good at, personal shepherding. He's shepherding Israel. And he's brought out from the church mountain into the seven mountains, the God that he knows. The God that delivers, sets free in his power. And David's like, you think this is my weapon? You got more problems than you think. And it wasn't because he's hiding the sling. He had no idea what he was going to do with. I have to, can't do this the way, the deliberate way I want to do. But you just, you, you, you know that he, he, he wasn't committed to doing it through the sling. Because when Saul says, you, when he finally lets him, because he goes to his general, Saul goes to his generals and says, this kid says he can kill him. And he says he killed a lion and bear with his bear. And I know he's, that's why, and they're talking among themselves like, oh, well, if he did, he's going to kill this guy easily. I know, I know, but oh, that'd be embarrassing for that little guy to do it. And you're the king, you're the big, and you know, I was like, oh, okay. But put your armor on him. He has the big kingly seven-footer armor. And, and so only the people right around here will know who actually did it. And so if, if, he's, if he's telling the truth, he's going to easily kill that giant. You still get your king. You still get all the honor here and praise. And if not, we say, well, we tried. I mean, how can you go out there with no one, not even a sword? So they make the, yeah. And so David gets it, you know. But David's, sir, and he's like, all I need to be able to do you know, so I need to be able to get to him. Because once I get to him, I'm killing him. I don't know if I'll flick his eyeball to death, slap him, kick him, but he is dying. And so, you know, he said he dressed him in his own tunic, his coat of armor. And then David fastened the sword over his tunic. He tried walking, but he said he couldn't because he wasn't used to. And he's also too short, you know. He can't fit it. He's, he's, he's like this. But that tells you he wasn't planning on having to use his sling. He's like, I will kill him with the actual weapon he has. And the weapon will tell you in just a minute. He had a different weapon. His weapon wasn't a sling. He didn't have a stick. None of those were his weapon. And so he's like, I'm going to kill you. But, and he's like, so David gets it. He says, I, I get it, king. You know, you would like to receive. He's not having this conversation with him. But he's like, you would like to receive the praise for honor for this. If, I'm fine. I'm fine. All I need to do is be able to get to him. But then he's like, king, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't walk in this stuff. So they have to take, they have to take it off. And um, so he tells him in verse... 45, David said to the Philistines, no, to the Philistine, I love this. It's after he was cursed by Goliath, cursed by Goliath in front of two armies. And you're just a boy. Ooh. David's, oh, wow, I made you mad now. You know, I repeat to you what the enemy said. Come here, verse 44, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. So he never loses a narrative. He sees the battlefield. He sees everyone's role. He sees the enemy. He sees himself. He sees the giant. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Everybody's like, How's it? does he have a Swiss army knife in his pocket? Like, guy's got a... Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All these gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. He's like, dude, I'm already looking past you. I got, I'm going after about a thousand of your guys behind you. 
you're so dismissible, I'm already looking past you. Goliath has one, I'm going to, David gives him three verses back. There's something about even over your identity, over your destiny, who the Lord's called you to be. The enemy's always telling you're not going to make it. You're a loser. You're going to be pushed around. You're not going to happen. Your words have delayed too long. Your promises can't happen. You can't just, dang, I wonder if he's right. You have to go after the enemy with words. You have to tell him, not only am I going to fulfill this, but all of a sudden you're going to get faith for more. I'm going to take care of you, and then I'm going to do. You, you have to let that spirit. That's the key of David that arises. Again, we want to make sure we get these as we close real soon. Key of praise. Keep the Lord magnified. Key of identity. Cannot lose the storyline, the narrative, who you are. You're his. David always identified in his kingdom identity. He was never just David, son of Jesse. He's always you have gone against the Lord. You go against me. You, he was in the Lord's game. The Lord was in his game. That's how they did all this thing together. If the enemy ever gets you just called by your name, you know, if you're just, you know, Stephen Smith, then you don't got it. But you got to be into your kingdom identity. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things are added, but you have a whole different identity that works on behalf of you. David never got shook from that. He always processed things from this is territory, that was given to us by God. This is land that is ours. He is illegally on it. He always knew how to live his life positioned as an ambassador, emissary, representative of the kingdom, and that's how he saw things. And when you live out of that, then you don't have to just compare yourself. Because if you get reduced out of that, you do have to compare yourself into who you are versus the enemy, and you always lose. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine to the birds of the year. All right, before we get to, we have to read that happened, but I got to give you, because we still, okay, I gave you the two, key of identity, number one, key of praise, number two, key of identity, number three, key of the right narrative. I've been telling you that, but I just didn't call it number three, the key of the right narrative. You have to know the storyline, and you have to, if you haven't magnified God enough, you won't know that, and there's a lot of, that's a big one for the body of Christ right now. Know the right narrative. This is not the kingdom of Satan time. This is not even the days for Jacob's troubles. I'm going to tell you that. This is kingdom age time, kingdom advancement. This is where we go into kingdoms of this world, becoming the kingdoms of our God in the sense, the kingdoms of the seven mountains. We're headed to Habakkuk, where it says, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. It's going to be processed. It's going to be decades and decades and decades, I'm going to tell you. You have to prepare yourself, prepare your kids, your grandkids for this. This is something we're transitioning to something. We haven't lived courageous enough for Jesus to come. This is not a bride that Jesus is, you know, it's Jesus worth a bride much more courageous than what showed up so far. Jesus is okay. She's only 12 years old. That's okay. But don't be trying to be the bride of Christ at age 12. We got to accomplish and be the things that make us beautiful. <clears throat> I want to go down those rabbit trails. But okay, we're, we're, we're already past, but I got to get to this thing. So how did David, that was number three. Okay, the four key was, fourth key, the key of overcoming rejection. I'm going to tell you that when we pastor, we, Elizabeth and I pastored for 15 years, I think 90% of counseling issues, if you go core, core, core behind everything, rejection. And it's the basic wound 
And it doesn't matter if you had a great family, bad family. Everybody seems to have faced rejection. If he has something to work, on, work with, it obviously makes it worse. If your dad said, I wish you were never born, and he's told you that multiple times, obviously that's like it can really go stronghold. And if you're, you know, went from foster home to foster home, if you're a product of incest or something like that, there's all kinds of things that can happen. But even if you grow up in a great household, he will lie to you and tell you you are rejected. It's like, you know, the good news is we all do have personal guardian angels. I don't know if you know. That's true. You have them. Awesome news. Bad news is you probably were assigned a personal demon as well. And it's a demon of rejection. And from before you're ever born, you're in there and you're hearing outside. Uh, they're fighting about you and you were never wanted. You're not wanted. And you have a demon spirit that it's his assignment to tell you you're not wanted. And you're rejected. And the problem is not that. The problem is when you believe it. The problem is when you believe it. And the problem when you believe it, and then you allow it to go to a stronghold. And again, to the degree that people, when you have people around you that are supposed to be your support system, like David. Where you have, when your parents you have a dad that doesn't accept you. When you have a brother that knocks you down, your pastor doesn't believe in you, your leaders, people don't believe in you the way, then this thing can go into a stronghold place and you'll find yourself locked down. David did not become super until he overcame rejection. And I'm going to tell you the story the Lord showed me. And we have to do this quickly, but it's... Because <clears throat> I asked the Lord, I go, how did David overcome all that? It's the worst wound. When we deal counseling with people, you have a dad that won't even claim you, and then your brothers don't accept. We know he wasn't close with his brothers because not one of them had a position in his kingdom. They were not brothers. They did not operate that, that, that way. When he was in a position of power, he was like, how can you have everybody don't, not believe in you, and how does he make the shift? And, you know, one of the reasons I love David so much is because he's so honest and I used to, I loved that he was a mighty man when I was in my teens. I would read all how he and his mighty men just take out, you know, huge armies, one or two people do it. And I was like, yes, I love that. I love when little guys beat big guys. And so, and small armies beat big armies, and, and that's awesome. Then I got into my 20s, and then there were times, you know, I just loved David's honesty in the Psalms where he'd, my God, my God, why have you forsaken my enemy triumphs over me? And I'm fasting and praying. He gets stronger. And, you know, he has all these chapters. He starts out just complaining. It, it, honestly, though, it was not even a complaint. Just like, man, this ain't working the way I thought it would. But he would never end the chapter there. But you are the lifter of my hands. You are my high tower. You are the one. And he always would he'd get there. And if he wouldn't get there, you know, halfway through the song, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. You know, he'd command himself, get there. Come on now. Magnify the Lord. And then that would be his, how he got there. And I just, I was like, man, where did he develop that? And the Lord, he showed me this. And I get him to do the fast version of this. But <clears throat> the Lord showed me that David, that and I believe, we'll find out, that he grew up kind of a, an angry young man. And that, you know, he's three, four, five. We're not sure the age. And this is the picture I saw. Just, I saw him like a, uh, not a vision like this, but it was a vision. And it's like David one day asked his mom and says, Mom, who's my dad? Who's my dad? And his mom says, Son, uh, that's complicated. See, if you know... The, in those days, if you got somebody else pregnant, you just marry her, unless there's something embarrassing about who that would be. That's why there's a thought that it was incest or some servant that's way too young or something. And so, son, that's just complicated. And then David, progressively, every year that goes on, he finds out more and more how complicated that was. 
because in that complication, he finds out, you know, he's getting to be 12, 13. And then you realize he's supposed to have inheritance. They have wealth. They have stuff. And, and he's, not, he's a servant. They've given him a He's now old enough. And they're like, no, you're, you take care of the sheep. This is, he has no future. He has no inheritance. And he's supposed to be semi-royalty being part of this bo- descendants of Boaz. He's supposed to be this kind of place, and he's over here, and his dad won't claim him, and his brothers, of course, don't even know. He's being, you read Psalms, you know, they make fun of him. He's the bastard. He's the redheaded stepchild. He's a, and so there's just, and so I saw this picture and this vision. It's like whatever age he was, 13, 14, 15, <clears throat> and he's watching the sheep, and one day it boils over, and this thing of his honesty with God, he developed this from young. Because his mom, I believe, is the one telling him God's good and he's got a plan and all this other stuff, you know. And so, but and in whatever way they communicated in that time. And so David, he's, you know, he's watching the sheep and he's just pondering about his life. And as he's a young man now, he's, you know, this is his lot. This is him. He has no future. He's like, and there's just this thing of hope. And it's just anger and bitterness comes on him. And I believe he just starts, you know, picture I saw him like beating on the chest of God. I hate you. Why was I ever born? Why did you put me on? This, you know, he's just letting him have it. And while he's doing that, at the corner of his eye, he sees a lion come and pick off one of his little lambs. And as he sees the lion pick off the little lamb, something goes off in David. And he's like, because he identified with the little lamb. You know, if it's me, if I'm watching those sheep, and it comes, and I'm like, thank you, God, for the sacrificial lamb. (laughs) David risks his life Something in David goes off because he identified, I'm the little lamb nobody notices. And he's like, I'm going to show you. There's a, I'm going to show you. And he makes an inner vow. If it's the last thing I ever do in my life, I am going to stop that line because I am that type of person. Now, if not, I'll go out dying in that, you know. He's, he's, he's angry with God. He's angry with his lot in life. And so he starts running after the lion. As he's running, all of a sudden, like the bionic man, you know, he's, he's just like super fast all of a sudden. And then he's, next thing, he's, he's beside the lamb. And if we read the story, and we don't have time to read the story. So anyway, you know the story. He's there, and, and he's like this, and he looks at the lamb, and the lion, the lion looks at him. And he, boom, hits him on the head, and he drops the lamb. I read it's a 1,000 pounds of pressure that the jaws of a lion have. That ain't no normal hit. You can't do that. A 1,000, boom. And he said, and when the lion turned, like they're like this, and he's dropped the lamb, and the lion's right there, and David's like, you know, and the lamb, and the lion looks at him, and when he turns, David's like, I'll let you go, but you better have learned your lesson kind of deal. And he turns on him, he grabbed him by his beard, and he kills him. There's some supernatural stuff. And then I'm seeing this picture. <sighs> David, his adrenaline is rushing. He's picking up his little, his little lamb. And he's like, <sighs> what in the world just happened? And in the, in the, in the, the vision I saw, he's taking, he takes it home to mom. Mom, you're not going to believe what happened. I was watching the sheep. And, and, and all of a sudden, a lion came. And he grabbed one of my sheep. And I was like, I'm not going to let that happen. And so I started running. And when I was running, all of a sudden, I was super brave. And I was super fast, and I ran, right, son, you're chasing a lion? Yes, yes, mom, stop. And so he's like, and then I hit him. You hit him over the head? Yeah, and mom, he dropped it. He dropped it, son, they don't drop. He dropped the lamb. And so then I picked, you know, and he came, he wanted to kill him. 
son, I grabbed him by his beard and I killed him. And he's, and his mom's like, she's just like, she can't believe what she's hearing. And, and the story I saw is in his mom essentially says, son, you connected to the justice of God. You connected to his heart for the abandoned, for the forlorn, for the little lamb that no one else sees. And, it's secure. and David had a sozo, for those who know about sozo ministry. You know, where was Jesus? <gasps> he realized he was feeling God's heart. And then it said, and then he tells the king, and when a bear, this, this repeated, just the Lord wanted to secure this thing in him. That's why this had happened so many times. That's why when he looked at Goliath, he's like, are you serious? This is repeat. This is a bear. This is a lion. He's picking on little lambs. They don't know who they are. I'm going to represent the Lord in justice. I'm going to run after him, and he's going to come on me. I'm going to kill him. Again, I don't know if I'm going to flick his eyeball, slap him to death, see him on. He is dying. Because I'm now, I represent the Lord of hosts. And I believe this whole storyline comes out in his most favorite, most popular psalm. It tells it all right there. The Lord is my shepherd not my king not my father not my the lord was to him what he was to his lamb that's why he used that and it wasn't the lord is the or a is my it's personal that's how he overcame rejection he wrestled with god until he got a truth down the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing Every description of his relationship with the Lord is sheep. This lowly job that was getting him bitter, resentful. He's doing a servant's job of shepherding. Every description of his relationship with the Lord. It's why he wouldn't leave it even after he was anointed king. He went back because it's like, no, this is where I learned out. This is where I learned about the heart of God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. My soul had experienced profound rejection. I needed it to be restored. We don't want to pass that one too quickly. He restored my soul. I thought he was a God who didn't see little lambs. I thought he picked on me my whole life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. When did that happen? When do we ever, I always used to go, wait, I never heard about it. When did he prepare a table before him in the presence of his enemies? It makes it easier if you can understand Spanish because in Spanish it's, aderezas mesa delante de mi en presencia de mis angustiadores. Well, I know that didn't mean much to you. In the presence of mine angustiadores, in the presence of mine anguishers. Who were his anguishers? His brothers. You prepared a table. When was a table? Is the day he was anointed king. You prepared a table before me in the presence. How do we know? We don't have to guess from that line. The next line, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. That was his day of healing. And it says, and from that day, the spirit of the Lord came on David. If you read 1 Samuel 16, he was anointed. He healed everything. Sozo, he figured it out. He got it. Okay. His heart is for the one that's picked on. He's a big God. He's here. 
He's present. He's for us. And I'm not going to act like he's not the Lord who's my shepherd. And I'm going to tell you, no matter where you are, I've had this message I've been giving, and I've had, I had a pastor of a church come up and say, my life has changed forever after this. It's for 22 years. I've been pastor of this church. I've taken him through Sozo's. I've taken him through everything. But I could never tell him. I'm a product of rape incest, and I could never tell, even the body of Christ, because it was too embarrassing. If David can stand and do what he did, I'm, that doesn't bother me anymore. There's always the next level of freedom. And what we're going to do now, I have to just, I, I, Steve, it's four or five more minutes is it. This is the fast version. I don't know what happened. But God's so working in the room right now. And this is the moment we go to the, the game changer freedom for many of you. I can see it already in your countenance. I see what's happening. There's deep stuff. There's tears. There's all this because... There are some lies of the enemy being squelched in your life right now. But we're going to get to be, we're going to go from David's, many of you, from being Saul's cowards to David's mighty men. Cowards always want to escape and run away from battlefields, battle lines. David had three runs, all three runs, two battle lines, to the enemy where the action is. Everything changes when your view of God, what you think about God, when David's thoughts about God changed, everything changed for him. When you know he is the Lord, your shepherd. So we have to enjoy the last couple few verses of David taking out Goliath. Verse 45, David said to Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. The armies of Israel whom you have defied this day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army. I'm looking past you. I've already got your army. Even if nobody follows me, I'm taking out a thousand at least. The birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands as the Philistine moved closer to attack. And the Philistine, he's still trying to use intimidation. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. What does that mean? He fell to David. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck the Philistine and killed him because he fought with a different weapon. Verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. See, there's David. He knows he's seen these movies. No, he didn't see movies at all. But you know the movies, he's not dead, he's not dead. You know the enemy, the big guy's stunned. David runs over and he's like, Goliath's here and he's like, Y'all worried he's going to get back up? <laughs> Cuts his head off. Sorry, this is a little violent. All that's been the spirit support. Um, big, bloody Goliath head. It's like, was this the problem, people? And instantly, eschatology changed in a whole nation. We're not waiting for Jesus to come and save us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We arise. We shine. 
When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Why? David had already used the mountain of media to make a declaration to. When I'm done with him, I'm coming for you. He's coming for us. There's one of them. <laughs> then the men of Israel and Judah surged forth with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath. Their dead were strewn all over the place. They chased them from city to city, etc., etc. You knew how that, how that ended. So here's the moment, the ministry moment of one minute. Because this is how, literally, I mentioned, because the question, you know, when you read, I don't know how many have read the chapters on David's mighty men. It says, one, he saw a lion in a pit. He jumped to that. He killed him. Another one walked up to a giant, took away his spear, killed him. Two other guys, they did, you know, thousands, they take care of him. His mighty men, he had three mighty men. Well, they first talk about one. And he killed 300 Philistines by himself, but he didn't attain to the might. The three mighty, go, what you got to do to be a top three guy? And says, Shama, he lifted his spear once and killed 800 Philistines. Ah, you know, and shish kebab, 800 Philistines. That's what you had to do to be top three. And then they had 30. And then they had, and they said they came by the thousands. And there was like 11 sons of Gad, faces like lions who ran like deer. These were all false cowards before. But their thoughts about God changed. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. It says they guarded the whole territory from the Jordan to somewhere else. 11 sons of Gad, faces like lions and ran like deer. They were just in the corner of their eye. They see one mile away. Look over there. Boom! They run over. They take care of them. The enemy, and they come back. They're out there territorial. And it was because they saw the example of a David. This is the era of David. This is a big year of David. 2020 is when the seeing that releases people into becoming Davids. No more being pushed around. No more being pushed around in your personal destiny, destiny, in your personal call. No more the body of Christ being pushed around. The capability to see and connect to a big God with his narrative for you personally, for this nation. It's an incredible time for this nation. For the nations of this world, there's a lead role that is called. There is, you know, and this is not a political statement, but there is a David call on Trump. You want to know why he's not afraid of some things? Because the spirit of the Lord comes on him for it. And he doesn't have to be as holy as David. Because I don't have time for that message anyway. It's not political. It's not political though. There's as much a mess on the Republican side as there is on the Democrat side. There's a mess on both sides. But the Lord is coming in and he is doing a history game changer for us at this time. Okay. So if you'll stand with me. And don't leave because this is where it all happens. We're going to do, how did David's, because there's a question, how did how did Saul's cowards become David's mighty men? And I didn't go into it, but it says later on, these all came to David and were like the army of God. And it never talks about the army of God again until Joel 2. And there were now thousands because one person showed a different God, saw a different God, revealed a different God, and people quit being pushed around. How did it happen? I'll read to you the verse. When the Philistines, see, it's all about seeing. When the Philistines saw their hero down, ah, cowardice. The enemy is about to be released into cowardice over our nation on some big things. The Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They turned and ran. Then 
the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout. They became different people. They went from Saul's cowards to David's mighty men with a shout. And that's what we're going to do as a final act here. But let me give you, there's the word, R-U-W-A, the Hebrew word. They read out a shout. It means to shout, to raise a shout, to give a blast, to roar. A year of roaring justice. Shout a war cry, to shout in triumph, to split the ears with sound. You're getting it. All right, let's connect to the kingdom plutonium. Greater is he that is in you. I'm going to count to three, and you're going to let out. You're going to make the transition. You're going to draw the line in the sand from today. The Lord is my shepherd. Not going to be pushed around by intimidation. And David never, he never had an attitude against people, not even the king. Like, he never, you old wineskin fool. You know, your servant. See, that's a sign you haven't quite overcome rejection is when you're still trying to prove something to somebody. David didn't need to do that. He just knew the Lord was his shepherd. Okay. You ready? Okay. Well, one, two, three. percent of you got there I'm serious the spirit you can hear change cling 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 I can tell you so many of you are set free from diseases from that you had rejection connected to disease you're free from that even now okay but we're gonna do one more time and I'm gonna ask you again 95 percent of you were truly free it's good what are you afraid of Look at the person beside. I don't want him to think I'm a fool. I'm too loud. I'm oh, what? There's a moment. There's a day when it happens. There's an instant when it happens. This is a holy moment. It's the beginning of 2020. New identity. The Lord is your shepherd. You will never again deal with rejection. You will look at it. And you will say, you have no place in my life. The Lord is my shepherd. You have to understand it's impossible for God to ever reject you. He can't do it. It's impossible. And he literally looks for the most horrible story, the worst your story, the more he wants you to show giant killing stuff to the world. One! Two, three, one! 
in the name of Jesus, I ordain you as mighty men and mighty women of God from this day forward.